Let us pray. God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 1. The path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Okay, I've listened to that children's message twice at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Now, one of those kids said the pastor was wise. <laughs> We've got some work to do. Our New Testament reading comes from James uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 4.3, and then 7 and 8. Um, last week, if you were here or you joined us uh, on the live stream, uh, my sermon was about wisdom and folly. And wisdom is presented in the book of Proverbs as a virtuous woman standing on the street corner um, in the city marketplace and where the community travels by and calls out to them to listen to God's word and to fill their lives with God's word. Uh, we also talked a little bit about folly. And folly is the voice of the world that speaks in opposition, basically, to the, to the holy word and what God calls us to believe is the truth and to believe in God's wisdom. So today I kind of want to continue on that study of wisdom because I think it's uh, important. And I think uh, James here in, in uh, chapter 3 gives us uh, a phrase uh, about wisdom. It's gentle, gentleness born of wisdom, uh, which is a phrase that, that really leapt out to me as I studied uh, this scripture. But, but also another thing I looked at was... Um, uh, Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of the Bible a couple of decades ago called The Message. And it's uh, when I'm doing a, a sermon, when I'm looking at scripture, I'll use a lot of different translations to look at where the words are different, where phrases are different. It kind of keys me in on, on maybe where, where there might be some inspiration. And how Peterson uh, translated that gentleness born of wisdom, he called it uh, these three things, to live well, to live wisely, and to live humbly. So whether you're following along in the Pew Bible, which is a new revised standard, or when you're, if you're watching us on the live stream, that's what you'll see uh, on the bottom of the screen as it comes across. If you have your own Bible with you, that's a different translation. Uh, whatever you're looking at, um, I'm going to be reading from the message, 
but that's okay because you'll be reading from what you have or you'll hear me and maybe read something different and hopefully those, uh, uh, those words will speak to you God's wisdom. So James chapter 3 verses 13 through 4.3 from the message. <clears throat> Do you want to be counted as wise to build a reputation of wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, and live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throat. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels have come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill for it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking for God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to have. You're a spoiled child, each wanting your own way. So let God work God's will in you. Yell loudly, no, to the devil, and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before your master. It's the only way to get back on your feet. <clears throat> so that was Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the of that first or that part of uh, chapter three of James. Uh, Peterson also wrote a lot of books. He's really one of my favorite religious authors. Uh, two of his uh, best, or two of my favorite books that he wrote, one was called uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and the other one's called As a Kingfisher Catches Fire. If you're ever upstairs in my office and you want to see them, they're really the most dog-eared, underlined books that I have uh, in my bookshelves up there. And I think it's because I like stories. I like to tell stories. Uh, I consider myself a storyteller. I come from a long tradition of uh, family storytellers. So I, I recognize a good storyteller when I see him. And Peterson is one of those people, I think, that is an excellent storyteller. Um, he, he tells great stories. And he tells great stories about God. Uh, Peterson's training was in uh, biblical languages, ancient Hebrew and Greek. 
uh, and he taught those for many years in a theological seminary. Uh, but then he felt called to uh, parish ministry, and he went out, and uh, uh, he was Presbyterian, PCUSA, and uh, he helped uh, start a church in Maryland and was the pastor there for almost 30 years. But one, one of the things he learned in his pastoral ministry was that people just weren't familiar with these, uh, these biblical stories that he had uh, taught so much about, knew so much in the language. Uh, so he began to use his gift as a storyteller to take those scriptures and, and to rephrase them in, in more modern, uh, common, common language so people could understand them. And as that process went along, people kept asking him for copies of his sermons, and then he kept getting uh, letters from around the United States and really around the world for people wanting copies of them. And so the idea was born that he would one day sit down and write a whole translation, uh, and, and that's what he did. It's called The Message. Uh, it's a great way to, to get into that biblical word if you're, if you're, if you're struggling uh, with that a bit. But, but like I said, what attracted me to that text when I read uh, his translation uh, was what he did with that phrase to me, which was very important, talking about wisdom, was the gentleness of wisdom. And he broke that down into three parts, and that's what I want to talk about today. To live well, to live wisely, and to live humbly. Um, <clears throat> Those are way, you know, that to me is the way to, to, to break this down. So let's start with live well. James says, it's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Now think about that phrase for a moment. It's not the way you live, it's the way you talk that counts. I promise you, everybody that can hear my voice knows somebody who talks a good game but doesn't walk it, right? We, we, we all know those people. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy the results of that only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. A holy life is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing. So those are some difficult traits, really. If we think about living our life that way, it's not as easy to do. They speak of a life that is not about self. It's not ego-driven. It's not grasping or hoarding or envious. In our current society that is centered solely around self-gratification, often at the expense of others, these words maybe sound a little strange or counter-cultural even. As we continue to explore James's practical advice into wisdom living, try to see yourself as a member of a church, as a member of a community that embodies those traits, getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and honor. Look for that mentor or friend of yours or someone that lives that life, just as you could think of someone probably that doesn't walk the talk, who walks it, who lives it, who is that person for you, who practices God's wisdom in their daily life, what are their practices, what are their habits. Find that person and study them 
and find out how they are living God's wisdom every day. Those are things that we can do to live well. We should also live wisely. How do we live wisely? James says to let God work God's will in us. God, let God work God's will in us. God calls us to submit ourselves to God. Now this statement implies for us to repent. And that word is really, really important. The word repent means to not only change direction, but it means to turn around and go in the exact opposite direction you were going. That's a very distinct difference between just changing direction and totally turning around and heading straight back to where you came. That's what God wants us to do, to turn away from our trajectory wherever we're heading and turn around and turn back towards God. So when we turn away from that grasping life that leads to conflict and violence, we find the life that God intended us to live. God created us to live that life. God wants us to live the life. God is yearning and searching in us, in our human spirit, the same spirit that exists in God. In choosing to draw near to God, we are throwing off the power of earthly wisdom and we're embracing God's wisdom. What then might that look like? What might living wisely look like? What might it look like in the church community, a church that lives in God's wisdom? Well, one of my seminary professors and someone who I think is very wise uh, is a lady named Kathy Dawson. And Kathy listed some of these attributes of a church that lived wisely the way James calls us to. A church that is living wisely has church officers that are chosen on the criteria of godly wisdom rather than how much money they make or contribute to the church. A church that lives wisely has a vision, an outreach that is not only cast by the staff, but is shared among the church members, church members of all ages. Disputes are handled with mercy and love, seeking peace above selfish ambition, and they are based 100% on reconciliation of the offender and the offended. Stewardship becomes not just a seasonal pledge collection, but a year-long spiritual discipline taught and lived by the whole church. Prayer is not selfishly asking for what we need and what we want as an individual, but seek the good fruit that will meet our needs for this church, the community, and the world. Peacemaking and social justice ministries become ways of addressing the earthly wisdom that surrounds us. And our primary identity is measured by our closeness to God rather than the possessions we accumulate. These are just some examples of a church and an individual that embodies living wisely. And the last one may be the hardest one, to live humbly. James says, get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way to get back on your feet. In the days of old, when you approached a king or someone of higher stature than you, you humbled yourself before them, meaning you bowed low 
to show your submission to your superior. That is how you humble yourself, recognizing that maybe you're not a step higher than everybody else like you think you are, that you should present yourself lower. So another one of my favorite storytellers is uh, Will Willimon, who's a Methodist bishop, and he was a longtime chaplain at Duke Chapel in Durham, North Carolina. I've, I've met Will on several occasions, been to many of his seminars, and read lots of his books as well. Um, and he tells a fabulous story about how he himself was humbled uh, by a group, group of uh, Duke students when he was chaplain there. So he was, uh, in his early career, back in the 1980s, he was the chaplain at Duke Chapel in Durham. And part of his duties, other than having a, a worship service every week for the Duke community, was to reach out to the many organizations and many groups that were within uh, the Duke community and, and pastor to them and be, be part of who they were. Um, and one particular area of his responsibility as the chaplain was the responsibility of the uh, moral development uh, of the fraternities and sororities on campus. Now, I'm, a, I'm an SAE from the University of Arkansas, so I don't remember a whole lot of moral development going on back, back then, but... Um, but Willimon took that, that on and said that, you know, he was going to do that. And, and he heard some stories within the, the chaplaincy office of how this had not gone well and, and maybe in, with some of his predecessors. So he was wound up for it. He was really going to give it to him. And he, he set his first appointment um, with one of the fraternities. And, and he, uh, he developed a little talk called Character in College. And so he was going to go deliver this. Uh, so he, he went to the house, and uh, he, was, he, he was just going to give it to these uh, animal house guys about how to really live a, a moral life. So he knocked on the door, and to his surprise, the door opens, and there was a, a young boy standing there about nine or, or ten years old. And, and the boy beckoned him in and took him back into the house where he found uh, all the brothers in a big uh, common room uh, gathered. And so he took his place. Uh, there had been a lector or podium set there, and he took his place there. And, and in, in Willimon's word, he said, I hammered them pretty hard about their moral failures and the moral failures of their generation for about half an hour. And, and when he was done with his little 30-minute tongue lashing, uh, he asked for questions or comments. And, and there was silence. Um, but while he was in his talk, he, he noticed that this young boy that had let him in uh, had crawled up on the couch and had gone to sleep next to uh, one, of the, one of the young men that was there. And so as he gathered his stuff and got ready to leave, he, he saw this young man uh, look at the little boy and said, you go on to bed now and get ready. Uh, I'll be by a little bit later to tuck you in and tell you a bedtime story. And the same uh, young man uh, walked to Willimon outside and thanked him very, you know, for coming. And, and Willimon just couldn't keep him. So he said, I have to ask you, who is that kid and why is he here? And the young man said, oh, that, that's Daryl. You see, our fraternity is part of the Durham Big Brother program. And we met Daryl through that program, and, you know, his mom really struggles with addiction, and she's having a tough time right now. 
so sometimes when things get really bad, uh, we've told Daryl that if he'll just call us, uh, we'll come over to the house and, and we'll pick him up and, and bring him over here. We, we take him to school, we buy him clothes, we make sure he's got all of his school supplies and, and plenty of food to eat. And then when things settle down at home, uh, you know, we, we take him back. Well, now it was Willimon's time to be silent. Um, he finally, you know, looked at the young man. He said, you know, that's amazing. He said, I want to take back everything bad that I said about you guys. <laughs> and the young man said, I'll tell you what's amazing. What's amazing is that God would pick a guy like me to do something this good for somebody else. So on his way back to his car that night, Willimon was humbled to his bones, seeing that he had totally misjudged these young men in this situation. He said he spoke to Jesus about it that night. He asked for forgiveness. And he said, you know, Jesus, this is a really odd way to start a revolution. But by the grace of God, I think it's working. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. James suggests to us that the best life can be defined precisely in that manner. It is a life which contentment rather than envy is the rule of the day. A life filled with God's wisdom, God's grace that is practiced and received every day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.